0: you tonight, God, we thank you for our brother Andrew, God, Uh, we thank you for the gifts that you've given him, and Lord, I just pray that your spirit moves in him tonight, God, that uh, he would speak the words that are from you, God, that he would listen to you intently, God, and deliver your message boldly, God, and just that uh, your words would pierce our hearts, God, that they would have an impact on us, to change us and mold us into your image, and so that we would reflect you better, God, we ask this in your name. We are in the David Chronicles, 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14. We are tracking the establishment of the kingdom in Israel. Um, This is absolutely important because as we know, Jesus is the ultimate king. So the establishment of the kingdom in Israel is massively important. Now up to this point... Uh, but we know that the people of Israel are special people because out of all the people in the world, God chose them uh, to represent him on the earth. God chose the, uh, the Israelites and gave them very specific laws. Some laws make a ton of sense, like you shall not kill, you shall not steal, etc. And then there are other laws that are very curious. For example, you can't mix fabrics you got to farm a certain way. you got to do this a certain way. And some of these rules just don't make a lot of sense. Well, um, they do make sense if you look at it from the perspective of the people around them would have asked them, why do you do stuff that way? How come you guys don't mix fabrics? How come you farm a certain way? Why do you guys do everything different? You know, in Deuteronomy it says that the, the surrounding nations would watch them and marvel at the wisdom of the God that they were serving. So Israel is a witnessing nation. They were enslaved by Egypt for 400 years, and God showed up and delivered them in this amazing way. And as he delivered them, he said, Look, I'm bringing you into this promised land. You're going to have an amazing time there. You're going to have grapes as big as your head. You're going to have homes already made. It's going to be awesome. And I'm going to make sure you clear out all the enemies from the land, because the enemies in the land were pagans, and they were doing terrible things. And God was using Israel actually as his uh, means of judgment of those nations. And so, because they were full of idolatry and worshipping other gods, God sent the Israelites into the land of Canaan, the Promised Land, and they began to clear out these pagans as an instrument of God's justice. Well, uh, they settled into the land, and they quickly began to repay God by worshipping the false gods that they had just cleared out the other nations for. So they quickly fell into idolatry. After Moses led them into the promised land and Joshua led them into the promised land, those two died out. Immediately after that, the next generation quickly forgot about how they got there and began worshiping other gods. And because of that, they got into this cycle of judgment. And when they would get judged, they would cry out to God for help, and a judge would help them after God judged them. You see what I did there? So they would cry out for help and God would send a savior to help them. But ultimately God was their king. Well, we know the story very well. The people of Israel decided that they wanted a human king, as such they had this good fellow named Saul. Now Saul initially started out pretty well. He was taller than everybody. And again, you're, you're doing warfare, okay? You want somebody that's big. Well, Saul was bigger than everybody. It's not like Sean. You know, Sean's working out, he's a big dude. Okay, we'll still beat you, up. but he was a really, really big guy. And here's what happened. Initially, Saul started out as a real humble dude. As a matter of fact, when they wanted to make him king, the day he was inaugurated, he was hiding. They didn't feel like he was up for the task. And so Saul started winning these battles. Well, what happened was Saul overstepped his boundaries. There was a priest who was supposed to go and do the sacrifice, Saul did not want to wait for the priest. He did the sacrifice himself. So the priest showed up and said, Look, man, God is leaving you. You, hey, hey a, go on. Ready? God is leaving you. That's what he said to him. Okay? So as that is going on, Saul is continuing to be king, but it's not the same. He's lost power. This is what sin will do to you. Listen to me. You can be anointed, you can be completely set apart. You want to hang out and sit and swim in it. You're going to lose spiritual power. It's a fact. Now, instead of repenting, what Saul does is he tries to continue on as if nothing has happened. But we're going to see pretty soon that Saul is continuously devolving into foolishness. This is what happens when you lose spiritual power. Now, look. <clears throat> we're going to look at Saul. We're going to see some interesting stuff. But here's a principle, when you are in sin, and you get called out in sin, you should repent. If you do not repent, you're going to end up doing crazy stuff that's going to affect everybody around you. Now watch what happens. Jonathan, Saul's son, is an amazing warrior. Jonathan, uh, the last week we were talking about this, had just recently got done Fighting this amazing battle. Him and his armor bearer basically went up 2 verses 20 and they cleared out the field. And when that happened, Saul and the rest of the army decided they were going to go fight because previous to that, Saul was hanging out under a pomegranate tree because he was scared, because he had no spiritual power, because he was in sin. So Jonathan actually leads the way. And goes out and fights and clears out the bad guys. And the people of Israel say, ah, let's go. So this is where we're picking up. is As they're on the way to start clearing out the bad guys. Look, what, look what happens. Verse 24. It's 1 Samuel chapter 14. And the men of Israel had been hard pressed that day. So Saul had laid an oath on the people. So what happened was, as they began to fight, it's the Middle East. It's hot. People are sweaty. And they're fighting all day. Okay, this is this is this is very very strenuous work. You know, you see the Lord of the Rings, and you see them running into the battle and fighting and all this, and that, and you go, oh, this is amazing. Well, you try that. <laughs> these guys walking around with gear and all the rest of it—it it is exhausting work. So these guys are tired. Okay, you know, you're playing uh, what is it, Call of Duty, and all these war games. You know, and your character can just run infinitely without getting tired. That's not how it works. Okay, come run a mile with me. We'll see. These guys are tired. Look what Saul does. So Saul had laid an oath on the people saying, Cursed! Be the man who eats food until it is evening. And I am avenged on my enemies. This is your leader. This is your leader. Can you imagine? I say, look, there's going to be a barbecue on Friday. And if you don't show up, you're cursed this is your leader by the way uh, biblically speaking the leader does not have the jurisdiction to curse the people of God I'm just putting that out there for you that is outside of my pay grade for a couple reasons number one the scripture says that all the blessings are found in Christ if you are in Christ you are blessed you cannot be cursed I had a friend of mine say to me last oh I'm cursed you're not cursed you're Christian, Christian can't be cursed Oh, you can't curse Christians. It's bad enough in an unbeliever, you know, you're out there at Planned Parenthood, fighting for the lives of little babies, and an unbeliever will come and curse you. He's just okay, whatever. Alright, he's an unbeliever. But think about this: this is a form of spiritual abuse, actually. An abuse of power. This dude comes and he says, Cursed is anyone who doesn't do what I say. You're cursed. Be very, very careful with what you do with your authority you know many of you at some level here have some sort of authority mom you got authority over your kids you're going to speak blessings or cursings over your kids they don't do what you want them to do then you're going to curse them and I don't mean like some crazy may your you know, big toe shrivel it. I'm not talking about that I'm just talking about you speak words of death over your children because they're not doing exactly what you want them to do Brothers, you're, you're going to curse your wife and say all kinds of craziness to your wife because she's not acting the way you want her to act. Ladies, you speak all kinds of death to your husband because he's a flawed human being. So here, here he is. He's cursing everybody in his army. Now look, until I am avenged on Who? My enemies. Very interesting. My enemies. What's interesting is earlier, when Jonathan was talking about confronting the Philistines, the Philistines are the bad guys, by the way. When Jonathan was talking about confronting the bad guys, what he said was these were Israel's enemies. Meaning, I'm just one guy in a nation and I'm on a team and these guys are our enemies. Look what Saul says though. No on my enemies. What does that mean? It means God is not in the picture. Israel is not in the picture. Everything right now is for who? Saul. Everything is about Saul's ego. And notice he says avenge myself. He's taking vengeance for himself. So he's using authority and in his mind The Philistines had done something personally to him, and now they are his enemies. So you got a problem with somebody in the church, and you want to get people around so that you can avenge yourself on your enemies. Be very, very, very careful. Saul is using his army to basically wage a personal jihad, a personal war. So none of the people had tasted food. Now look, this is not, this was not the United States of America. You know, in the United States, when your president does something crazy, you can get on TV and say, yo, the president's crazy. You know, during the Bush administration, it was very common to see people mocking the president. Well, that's not how it was in this day. If the leader says something, you follow him, that was it. So the people right now, they're like, okay, well, we won't have any food. Okay? It's the dead of summer. It's really hot. We're fighting. We got gear, but let's not eat. Now, was this a smart vow to take? Like, why did he say, okay, here's the vow. We won't take any of the spoils of the war. That would have been a good vow. <clears throat> I mean, you're not supposed to force your vows on people, but at least that would have been a good one. What he says is nobody can eat the fuel that you need to continue fighting, well, he takes that from them. Why? Because he had strayed from God, and all that's left when you stray from God is foolishness. The scripture says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. Wisdom. So when you don't fear God, you become a fool. And you end up doing really foolish things that are actually self-destructive. You realize this. This oath was a self-destructive oath. He put himself and all of the other soldiers in peril. Now, up to this point, <clears throat> Saul was actually a pretty wise military commander. You know, you would see in the previous battles where he would divide groups and put them in strategic areas and fight. He was a brilliant dude, but when God left him, he devolved into stupidity. Now look, I'm not trying to be funny here, but I mean, look at your life. The last six months. Think through the decisions that you've made in the last six months. Have they been totally rational? You know, sin is not rational. Sin will take your rationality from you. You end up doing really... How many times have you went, why did I do that again? Right? You get a little message on Facebook. You're like, yo, I should not talk to this dude. I'm going to talk to him a little bit. Well, I'll keep talking to him. And then you end up in a horrible situation. You get that phone call. I pick up this call. This dude's going to take me out. I'm going to go partying. I'm going to be drunk. I'm going to do really stupid, terrible things. I'm not going to do it. How many times have you done that in the last six months? Sin takes your wisdom from you. Now when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground. And when the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropping, but no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. This is a disaster. Can you imagine? (laughs) You know, a couple of us were fasting for a couple whatever, we went without food, but none of us were out there fighting a war. Good night. So there you are, you know, you're fasting for a day, you think you're some spiritual giant. You're like, oh, I drove by the McDonald's, but you know, I didn't pull in because I'm so full of the spirit. These poor guys. They're sitting there, sweating, dying. Some of them are probably passing out. You know, my brother went through, uh, uh, you know, USMC, you know, Marine Corps training, and they got this thing called a crucible. It's like 15 hours in the hot sun. It's terrible. A lot of the guys just pass out. They'll just drop. My brother's instructor dropped. He just passed out, which is really embarrassing because they're like the, Wah! anyway, they had to get helped up. How humiliated. Look. These guys are probably on the verge of passing out, and they see this dripping honey. Okay, it's kind of God going, oh, no coincidence, God put the honey there. But look what happens, they're afraid. Now watch this, Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath, so he put out the tip of his staff that was in his hand, and dipped it in the honeycomb, and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes became bright. Now, why hadn't Jonathan heard about this crazy vow? You know why Jonathan hadn't heard? Because he was out fighting. So he didn't hear his dad's crazy vow. Because he was actually out taking care of business. See, this is what happens when you're disobedient to God. You start constructing... See, this is where a lot of legalism comes from. Let me explain to you what legalism is. Legalism is you have a personal conviction... Or you have a personal guilt complex about something, and you make your personal conviction or guilt complex public, and then bind other Christians to your personal issue. So the scripture says, Don't become drunk with wine. Isn't that what the Bible says? Yes. Some people say, I'm not going to touch it at all. I got an addictive personality. I'm one of those people. I'm not going to touch it unless it's communion. I got to do it. But other than that, I'm not going to touch it. Okay? Now, I can't come to you and say, cell 53, nobody in this church is ever going to have a drink ever again. I can't do that. But here's what happens when you're not on mission for God and you're living in disobedience. You start constructing, watch this, false righteousness. This happened with the Pharisees all the time. Jesus says that they were full of immorality and all types of greed and that they were dead men's bones. They made people unclean inside. But you know what they did outside? You know they'd say, okay, it's Saturday, it's the Sabbath, you can't take more than uh, 25 steps or whatever. Something easily controllable. False righteousness. Because internally, you don't have any spiritual power. So you're going to create all these false rules and then put them on people so that you can have this air of righteousness. This is where legalism comes from many times. So if you're legalistic, I'm not saying that you're you're in some horrible sin. You might be. But look, this is what he does, because he's got no spiritual power. Meanwhile, Jonathan is out there fighting. He's too busy to get legalistic about the food. So his eyes became bright. Yeah, he's got some sugar. His blood sugar is probably low, right, Hal? Yeah. Blood sugar is low. See, I'm scientific today. I'm hitting on all cylinders, man. His blood sugar is low. Okay? And then he gets some of the the honey and his eyes brighten. he gets some energy. Yes. Now, if you're a warrior and you get some energy, what are you going to spend that energy on? Fighting. Fighting. See, even a seven-year-old knows it. See? Fighting. This was good for his soldiers. Now, look what happens. Then one of the people said, hey, your father strictly charged the people with an old saying, curse be the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. So somebody comes to Jonathan and says, look man, your dad basically just cursed you. Because he just said, curse be the man who eats anything. And you're a man and you just ate something. So you're like cursed. You're cursed now. Your own dad cursed you. Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright because I tasted a little of this honey? How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the to spoil of their enemies that they found. For now, the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. This actually cost them something. This actually held back the mission. Some of the Philistines who were fleeing, actually, many of them escaped. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're a soldier, and you get surrounded, but you find a way to escape with a bunch of your buddies, what are you going to do after you rest up? Go back and fight. You're going to strap on your sword, and you're going to go back and fight. So when it says the the defeat among the Philistines has not been great, that means that probably, most likely... Those Jews who got away, they're going to come back and fight, and some Israelites are probably going to die because we got soldiers that should have been there who are now still fighting. Do you everybody understand that? This is a terrible, terrible idea. Now look what Jonathan does. Now here's a question. Should Jonathan have said that out loud? My father has troubled the land. Should he have said that out loud? How? Probably not. Probably not. Look, the damage had already been done. The damage had already been done. There was no reason for Jonathan really to put his father on glass like that. Or let I me mean, to 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 call out his dad. Let I me mean, contextualize here. There was no reason for him to do that. Now Jonathan's probably one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I said a couple weeks ago that he was sinless. This is probably sin. You got for a couple reasons. One, the scripture says you gotta honor your father and your mother. And your father and your mother, you gotta honor them no matter what they do or say. And the scripture also says you shall not speak a word against the one who, puts you, uh, who the Lord puts in authority. Not to say that when they're in sin you cannot rebuke them, but to say if you disagree with your decision, um, you're not supposed to go out there and, and blast him. Now look, should Jonathan have been able to pull his dad aside and say, Dad, I think this is crazy what you're doing? Yes. Yes. But really, this is really tantamount to gossip, to be honest with you. Uh, and this is his dad. He dishonored his dad, he dishonored the king. Now here, here's something I won't tell you, okay? I'm one of the leaders of Cell 53. Um, my number is 207-561-0254. If you have an issue with me, call me, talk to me, set something up. And you got my Facebook, talk to me. And we do our best to be as accessible as possible. So don't read me saying this like some subliminal, don't say anything bad about Andrew. Okay? Lots of people say bad stuff about Andrew. What I'm saying is, come talk to me. And any leader in Cell 53 will tell you the same thing. Brian's out there at the Reason Rally right now telling atheists about Jesus. Okay? Somebody's probably going to get saved this week. That's what I've been praying for. Okay, Brian's the exact same way. you got an issue with Brian, talk to him. So I'm not saying you can't say anything negative about leadership. What I'm saying is, just talk to us. That's what John should consider that. I mean, he knew his dad's phone number. Anyway, let's move on. They struck down the Philistines that day from Mi'kmaq to Aijalon, and the people were very faint. This is the second time we're told that the people are faint. Now, these warriors are amazing. Think about this. Think about the odds that are stacked against them. Really long day. Not allowed to eat. Um, they're fainting, and they're still pushing on. They're still carrying on. These are good soldiers. Some of you are like that. Some of you are like that. Some of you, you run on empty. You guys are. Some of you are good soldiers. What I'm saying is, you should rest so. You know, Jesus is never going to tell you some crazy thing like that. Your curse if you rest and eat. Some of you are awesome warriors, but some of you need to rest and eat and chill. I know some of y'all right now are saying, how do you take your own advice? It's different from me. Let's keep going. <laughs> the people pounced on the spoil. and Now watch this. The people pounced on the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground. And the people ate them with the blood. Now why is that important? Hold on. According to the law of Moses, that God gave Moses, they were not supposed to eat the meat with the blood in it. Because the scripture says the life is in the blood. Mm-hmm. The blood in Israelite religion was specifically for what? Life. Sacrifice. So when, when an Israelite thought blood of an animal, that was a holy thing. That was sacrifice. So God says, do not eat that. But look what happens. They're eating the meat with the blood in it. Now why would they do that? The blood. They're about to pass out. And they're in the middle of a war. And finally, they say, now we can eat. And because they were put in this crazy situation, they did not have the self-control to do anything. See, this is what legalism does. Initially, it gives you sort of this image of goodness and rights. Oh, look at these committed soldiers. But actually, many times it leads to sin. Many times your crazy things that you're putting on yourself and people actually leads to sin. Here's one, for example. You're not going to drink alcohol. You're not going to touch the stuff. Right? And there you are, sitting down, and you see, uh, you know, Brian. And Brian opens up a Samuel Adams. And you start judging Brian in your little heart. You know what you've just done? In pride... You have judged your brother, which the scripture explicitly says you should not do. So because you wanted to avoid the sin of drunkenness, it sets you up for the sin of pride. See that? Legalism, many times, is used to avoid sin, but actually ends up turning you into a sinner. Same thing with the Pharisees. The Pharisees would say, okay, we've got all these laws, and then on top of the extra laws that they made, they'd say, look, if you swear on the temple it's worth this much. If you swear by heaven, it's worth this much. So they created so many rules that it, it created all these loopholes so that people just started lying all over the place. They say, oh man, I swore by the temple, so that's why I'm not really going to give you my goat, or whatever. So legalism, a lot of time, actually creates more sin than it stops. So be careful. But now these poor people, they're eating the meat with the bloodstain in it, they're, they're in bad shape. Look, look what Saul says. Then they told Saul, Behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. And he said, listen to what Saul says, You have dealt treacherously. You guys are treacherous. This is the same guy um, that offered sacrifices that he wasn't supposed to sacrifice. And now he puts this horrible, horrible law on these people. And in desperation, they start eating. And now he calls them treacherous. You've treacherously. Roll a great stone to me here. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Let every man bring his ox or sheep and slaughter them here and eat, and do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. Now, this is hypocritical of Saul to do, but it's still good. Okay? Because... This is what the law told them to do. They were not supposed to eat meat with the blood in it. So Saul says, let's make this and do this properly. This was good. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night, and they slaughtered them there. And Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar that he built to the Lord. So Saul, at this point, has made this crazy, irrational vow but on the other hand, he still, A, memorizes the law. He knows what the law requires. And B, he still has in his heart some devotion to God. Okay? But people are not as simple as we think they are. You know, many of us, it's just, you're either all good or all bad all the time. Well, that's not true. Most, of, most people are a mixture. Isn't that true? Yep. And as you progress in your sanctification... It gets revealed if you're a true believer or not. Now we're going to see, Saul's going to progress, and what he really is is going to become clear. But at this point in the story, he's a mixture. He's irrational, and he's selfish, he's egomaniacal, but he does have a concern for the law, and he does have a concern for God. Then Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until morning light. Let us now leave a man of them. And they said, do whatever seems good to you. But the priest said, let us draw near to God here. So right after I just said he built this altar to God and that he has some concern for God, then he says, after everybody's all eaten and they're all energized, let's go and kill everybody. And the guy goes, awesome. Let's talk to God and see what he has to say. Okay? By the way, you need people like that in the church. You got some people in the church who really like hard-charging people, right? Like, if you leave it to me and Brian, we're just going to go everywhere. Everywhere. Oh, there's atheists over there in Washington, D.C. Brian gets on a bus, he's gone. <laughs> Poor atheists, I feel bad for them. A little bit. Okay? And it's just That's just how it is. I'm, I'm very, very similar. Very same way. Okay? But you need some people that will say, well, well why do you need to go? There's nobody else. You need somebody that will stop you and say, hey, maybe we should sit and pray about this. You need people like that on your team. Thankfully, this priest says, let's draw near to God here. You know, if you want to hear from God, you have to draw near to God. This is a very, very important principle. Because the guy doesn't just say, let's ask God's opinion Let's, let's let's treat God as our consultant and God's going to advise us. No, the way he says it is, let's draw near to God. Do you have a practice of drawing near to God? People say all the time, oh man, you know, I just can't hear from God. I don't, I don't understand how you guys hear from the Lord and I can't hear from God at all. Well, maybe it's you're not hearing it. So do you have a consistent practice of drawing near to God? I assure you, the scripture says, Basically, in Acts 17, God's not hiding from us, man. He puts you where you are so that what? You would seek Him and find Him. It says in Jeremiah, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. You want to hear from God, you draw near to Him and seek Him with your whole heart. I guarantee you, you'll hear from Him. You'll hear from Him in the Word. You know, this happens a lot in cell. You know, you talk to somebody and then boom. They have this experience with God and they say, you know what? I read the Bible completely different. This is a primary way that God speaks to you, by the way. So we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe that He can speak to you in other ways. But this is a primary way that God will speak to you. And the way that I know that a person's really on the way is when they make that comment about the Scripture. When they say, man, the thing has just come alive to me. Well, the Scripture says that the Bible is living. So the Bible didn't come alive. What came alive? They did <laughs> This thing has always been alive. If the word came alive to you, it's because you were dead. And now you're alive. Praise God. You see this. So you have got to come to God. You've got to seek God. And then you'll hear from him. And he will give you um, answers on practical things you need to do. And some major questions in your life. Okay. But the priest says, let's draw near to God. And Saul inquired of God. Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer in that day. And Saul said, come here, all you leaders of the people, and know and see how this sin has arisen today. So Saul doesn't hear from God. So he goes, there must have been some sin that made it so that we didn't hear from God. So look what he says. For as the Lord lives, now he's swearing to God now. That's what that means when they say as the Lord lives. He's saying, I swear to God. As the Lord lives who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. Now look, Saul is calling his oath that he bound on the people. Sin. He's saying, because you guys did something I told you not to do, that is sin. Nobody sinned. Jonathan didn't sin by eating any honey. Okay? As a matter of fact, you're commanded to eat honey in Deuteronomy and in Proverbs. They didn't sin by eating honey, all they did was contradict Saul. They're not the same thing. <clears throat> he shall surely die, but there was not a man among the people who answered him. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, didn't they know that it was Jonathan? Yes, they did. This shows you how the people felt about Jonathan, doesn't it? Man, they wanted to cover for him. They didn't say a word. Because they loved Jonathan and they recognized that he was a good dude and would just happened to be in a bad situation. Then he said to all Israel, you shall be on one side and I and Jonathan, my son, shall be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, do whatever seems good to you. So now they're talking. Therefore Saul said, O Lord God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant this day? If this guilt is in me, or Jonathan my son, O Lord God of Israel, give Urim, that Urim, I'll explain you in a second. <laughs> but if this guilt is in your people of Israel, give Thumim. Okay, so Urim and Thumim are basically how they would make decisions, okay? It was basically like rolling dice. So basically what Saul just said is, Hey God, if it's me, and Jonathan, Let the dice roll on snake eyes. If it's somebody in Israel, let it be a double six. Does that make sense? That's that's how they made decisions, alright? And Jonathan and Saul were taken, but the people escaped. So the thing rolled snake eyes, and God said, it's between you and Jonathan, Saul. Right? Then Saul said, cast a lot between me and my son Jonathan, and Jonathan was taken. So God is purposely putting Saul In this situation. What he's saying is okay Saul, you put this crazy vow on all those people. Let's see what's going to happen. And this is very important because God is also exposing Saul to the people. Watch this. And Saul said to Jonathan tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him I tasted a little honey with the tip of the staff that was in my hand. Here I am I will die. So this whole entire time Jonathan has been keeping silent and so have the people but now it's clear he can't go anywhere and he says all right man i ate some i ate some honey now keep in mind jonathan is the war hero today while saul was hanging out in the uh, in the cave jonathan was out fighting okay now if that was you what would you have said to your father i know what i would have said to my father i would have said dad Uh, I was out fighting, uh, doing what I was supposed to do as Prince of Israel while you were in your cave, but now I'm supposed to die. Okay, fine. That's what I would have done. Jonathan doesn't do that. He recovered from the previous thing he did with his dad there. He's a good son. Listen to what Saul says. God, do so to me and more also. You shall surely die, Jonathan. Jonathan. Now, the people are faced with a decision. Now you're just a regular soldier, and your commander's just been doing stupid stupidness all day, and now he's gonna cap off the stupidity by killing your best fighter. <laughs> then the people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die? Who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives. Now they're saying, now we're swearing to God. As the Lord lives, there shall not be one hair of his head to fall to the ground. For he has worked with God this day. The implication is, he has worked with God. We don't know what you were doing all day. (coughs) I mean, we were fighting with you. But we know for a fact that this dude was working with God. We don't know about you. But there's no way in the world that this guy is going to die. Now, this is pretty embarrassing. Here you are, you're a leader, you're making all this, raw. I didn't care if it's my son Jonathan. Jonathan, I swear to God, you're going to die. And the people go, no, nope, nope. And they all got their hands on their swords like, you're not going to do it, Saul. You're not going to do it. Look, here's the deal. There's some times when leaders are just crazy, man. it just look the scripture says you're supposed to pray for your leaders right that's what it says Barack Hussein Obama some of the stuff that he's doing in our country not good and we should not follow them now to a point we need to honor the man and literally in your heart you should honor him God sent him above you and whoever God puts in office whoever he or she may be We have to honor those people, but there has to be a line in the sand in your mind where you go, man, I'm not going there. I don't care what the consequences. You realize these guys are putting their lives on the line by defying Saul and maybe because they had numbers, they were all going to escape. Okay. But how do they know four or five or six weeks down the road that Saul's not going to retaliate against them? This is a brave thing these soldiers did for Jonathan. Jonathan was extremely popular, and they stood up for him, but many of these guys weren't popular. They put their necks on the line. Sometimes, when you're dealing with people in power, you have got to put it on the line. Might does not make right. Position does not make you right. Sometimes, you got to go up against these people who are in authority. I don't care where they are. In church, in your family, whatever. Now look, be very careful. This was an extreme form of an abuse of power. And these soldiers actually give us a very, very good example. Saul gave this irrational vow and they said, Man, this is really crazy. I'm risking my own life, but I'm going to obey you. So they didn't just say, No, Saul, that's ridiculous. They They didn't have their own opinions. But when Saul crossed the line to murdering somebody, who was innocent. They said, we're not going along with you. Now, you're going to have to ask God for wisdom to balance those two out, right? Sometimes you're going to have to go along with the dumb oath, and other times you're going to have to put the line in say and say, no, I'm not doing that. And you're not doing that. You're not going to kill Jonathan tonight. I mean, they threatened him implicitly. All right. Now, look at this. Look at this in that next verse. This next this next line is so important. The people ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. This is an amazing, amazing word. The people ransomed Jonathan. That means Jonathan was on the hook. He's about to die. And they came in and ransomed him. Now, how did they ransom him? By basically threatening their father, his father then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines and the Philistines went to their own place now watch this, let's think this through Jonathan eats something because he eats something he gets the death penalty and then the people come in and intercede for him or speak on his behalf and because the people spoke on his behalf he does not get the death penalty that's a curious story okay why did Adam get the death penalty, by the way? He ate something, didn't he? He ate something, he sinned. Now look, uh, Adam's father was God, and God did not come with a silly oath. Okay? What God said was, Adam, everything is yours. Literally the world, not just the Garden of Eden, because remember, he said, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So God literally gave Adam the entire world. He said, look, man, I'm going to give you the entire planet. I'm just going to take one thing from you, just one. Adam said, thank you very much, God. I appreciate you. You gave me everything. And what happened? You don't even get past Genesis chapter 3. And Adam, it just wasn't enough. Some of you, it's just not enough. You gotta have. You just gotta have the thing. You, you, the thing you don't have, you just you gotta have it. You gotta take. You gotta eat. You have to consume. Mean in America. You're born in the United States of America. We're just consumers. So there's Adam. He eats the apple. It's, it's very interesting. The scripture says that Eve was deceived, but that Adam wasn't. You know what that means? It means Adam ate the fruit with full knowledge of what he was doing. Oh. Yeah. And here's the deal. Uh, Toby and everybody else. All of us have eaten things we should not eat. You understand what I'm saying to yeah. Many of us, it's like Hal said, don't focus on what we have. We, got, we just gotta go and get something else. And we consume that other thing. Well, all of us deserve the death penalty. As a matter of fact, the scripture says about God that he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. So there's God, and he's saying, as I live, I am not leaving the guilty unpunished. So there you are in the court of God, and there's the enemy. Remember, Jeremy talked about this. The enemy is saying, yo, yo, Father, look, 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 look what Jeremy did. And you said you wouldn't leave the guilty unpunished, so you have to execute Jeremy. This is what's happening. This This is what's happening to all of you, by the way, in the courtroom of heaven. And the devil is right. In the text in Zechariah 3, God does not say you're a liar. It's not what he says. Because it's true. So there you are. You have violated the holiness of God. And God says, as I live, I will not leave the guilty unpunished. And there's your accuser. And as the sword comes to strike you, in comes Jesus and he takes the blow for you. See, Jesus also, just like these people interceded for Jonathan, Jesus also comes and intercedes for us. But look at the difference. These people interceded for Jonathan by threatening Saul. Essentially, threatening to kill Saul is what they were doing. Jesus intercedes by saying, I will die. Here's the other thing. These people interceded for Jonathan based on his good works. What did they say? They said, This dude worked with God today. Isn't that what it said? Yeah. He worked with God. He's a good guy. You think that that's how Jesus sees for you? No. Oh Lord, Jesus says Catherine is so amazing. She went to Planned Parenthood today. Catherine, we're talking about grace. Is that what Jesus is saying about you? No. He's saying, Overlook everything Catherine has done or will ever do because I lived a perfect life on our behalf and I took the sword for her now she's perfect standing in front of you, perfect same thing about Jeremy you see this, so Jesus really, as one person, does a better intercession than a whole army could for you whole army of people could come in and intercede for you uh, I was talking about this a couple days ago there was this guy in the New Testament and his, his uh, buddy was sick and so the Pharisees go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, this guy has been really good to us. He's built a bunch of synagogues. He deserves for you to heal him. And Jesus goes, okay, all right, let's go and talk about it. So Jesus goes and, and uh, the guy says, yeah, Jesus, my buddy's sick. Can you please heal him? Jesus says, sure, I'll go to his house. And the guy says, no, nah, man, you've got authority over sickness, just like I have authority over my soldiers. And Jesus goes, I have not seen faith like this in all Israel. Here's the point. Jesus doesn't go and say, you are so awesome, you built that synagogue. That is not what he highlights. What he highlights is that the man had faith in him. So here's the deal. You do deserve the death penalty. You have consumed things you should not... Some of you are high right now. You consume things you should not have consumed. And we all deserve the death penalty. And it's the grace of God that says, no, not one hair of your head. By the way, that phrase, not one hair of your head will perish, also ends up in the New Testament from the lips of Jesus, by the way. Saying you, trust me, believe in me, not one hair of your head will perish. Meaning you will not experience an inch of spiritual death. And your body's going to die. Everybody's going to die. But not one hair of your head will perish. Why? Because all of Jesus perished on the cross for your behalf. It says he poured out his soul to death. Alright. So the people ransomed Jonathan. They bought back Jonathan. But we have a greater ransom, a greater intercession in Jesus. Amen. All right. Let's end there. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for grace. Thank you for Jonathan, God. Thank you for your word, Jesus. I pray that tonight you would make people alive. God, protect Ryan at the Reason Rally, God. God, give him boldness. God, he's as bold as a lion now, but God, make him even more bold, God. Help him destroy many strongholds of the enemy today, God. Keep him safe. Bring him back to us whole and happy. Watch over us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Cell 53, Proclaiming the Kingdom of God for the Sake of the City. For more resources, visit cell53.com.